go to the Bible and yes, please start the uh, taping. Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. This is the Word of God. And actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start, and could you turn back the echo, please? Um, I'm going to start with verse 26 of uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read what we've been studying the last couple of weeks so that we get the flow as we go into our text for this week, which is verses 3 to 5. Galatians, beginning with verse 26 of chapter 5. This is the word of God. It's eternally true. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. Now let me start at the end and say, what does it mean when it says, for each one will bear his own load? What it means is the day is going to come when you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, and I will stand there myself. You will not stand with your wife or your mother or your brother. Your pastor won't be next to you. Your elders won't be next to you. You will stand alone and you will give an account to God for every idle word. Now, this is a good way to begin this sermon because if you forget one another and you forget the judgment of the church and you think of the judgment of God and then you come to one another and the judgment of the church, the judgment of one another and of the church is a very, very small thing, isn't it? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And as evangelicals, we like to think that because uh, the Bible tells us that we no longer need to worry uh, that our righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we think that there will be no judgment for Christians. But there will be a judgment for Christians. And in fact, there will be in heaven levels. And we hate this because we're all egalitarians before we're Christians. You know, and, and after all, America, the great thing about America is that our Constitution bars us from having royalty. So why should heaven have it? Well, who's going to be judging us in heaven? The Lord Jesus Christ. He'll have the preeminence. And who will be seated around him? The apostles. There will be levels of reward in heaven. It's not just going to be the great egalitarian utopia. Now, it is true that in the righteousness of Christ, none of our works are going to cause us in heaven to put ourselves above other people and look down at them, or to have us underneath them and to look up at them and to be jealous because there is no sin in heaven. But don't think that there isn't a judgment for Christians. There will be. And based on the judgment we will have varying levels of reward in heaven. How you can have varying levels of reward without having heaven consumed by jealousy is beyond me. But remember, this is what Scripture says. And the day will come when each one will bear his own load. And some of those loads will be very heavy. Some of them will be lighter. 
but we will stand before the judgment seat of God. We will stand dressed in the righteousness of Christ. We will not need to fear the judgment of God. But we will be judged. And if you say, well, that's impossible. How can you not fear the judgment and yet be warned that there will be a day when every idle word will be accounted? And I say to you, are you biblical or are you rational? Logical. The Bible requires us to have our first allegiance to it and not to our puny minds that say, well, that's inconsistent. God is consistency. Every word of the Bible is consistent with itself because it's God speaking. And God is infinitely superior to our human wisdom. Infinitely. Now, let's go back to the text and let's look at this issue now because uh, in heaven it won't be a problem, but here on earth it is a problem to have levels. The church does have levels. The church does have burdens that have to be borne. Now, Paul is writing to the Galatians. And you remember that the Galatians are being divided in the church by some who want to assert their superiority over Paul and they want to woo the Galatian Christians away from Paul so that they can be their own disciples. That's what's going on in the church in Galatia. There's a competition for for the flock. And there are some who are using their doctrine of circumcision and a return to Uh, the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of circumcision, the righteousness of Judaism, to try to get disciples to come after them. And so Paul has this very touchy situation where he's trying to correct the doctrine while holding the church together, while exposing the evil. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Most pastors, when the evil rises up and, and goes after the shepherd, which evil will always do that, most pastors say, to heck with this, I'm out of here. Or as uh, a friend of mine had an older pastor tell him when he got into a church with a liberal senior pastor who hated him because he was biblical, uh, the older pastor counseled him in that situation, when a good ship comes, jump. All right? So Paul's here, and Paul's not out of there. He's going to stay in and fight, but he knows that as he fights, the attack will come on him. So he has this very dicey situation where he has to expose the pride and the sectarianness and the, and the heresies of these false shepherds, but he has to keep the church intact But he has to defend himself against accusations that he's doing this because of his own pride, his own arrogance, that he thinks he's the only one with right doctrine. All right. And so it's a very dicey thing that Paul has to do here. And so he's moving along and he goes through the doctrinal. He comes to the end and he hits the issue of life together. So we're not dealing so much now with the issue of uh, turning our back on works and circumcision and, and having our hope only in Christ, but now we're dealing with the issue of how do we get along with each other in the midst of a church that's, 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 that's split over doctrine. Well, Paul isn't dealing principally with circumcision here, but he's dealing again with this notion that here are these uh, in, in Corinthians, he calls them these super apostles, these people that say, we're the ones that really have the knowledge. How does he deal with them in such a way as to expose them and to protect the flock? Well, you don't just expose them by dealing with the false doctrine, do you? You also expose them by showing them for what they are. And again, 
Which do you do as a shepherd, as an elder? Do you show the people who are wicked in the church for what they are? Or when a good ship comes, do you jump? (laughs) Well, Paul isn't jumping, is he? He says... Let's not become boastful, challenging one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So right here, we don't have talk about circumcision and the works of the law, but we have talk about somebody who thinks he's something when he's actually nothing. And what's said here is nobody's anything. If you think you're something, you're nothing. You really aren't. And boy, we are an absolute riot of thinking we're something in morning worship, aren't we? (laughs) You know, you'd think there would be one hour a week or an hour and a half a week you could go and finally be done with thinking you're something. But boy, it seems like it most particularly attacks you when you're in church. And there, boy, you look around and you see other people and... And boy, they think they're something, but they're nothing. And of course, what you're saying is, I am. I am something. I am important. Well, let me just tell you all, because I'm up front, you're not important, I am. Well, and right there, that shows why always in church history, people have refused to allow themselves to be fed by pastors. The church is filled with people who every single week sit through sermons and resent the man that's preaching. And if you want to know whether this is true, read Calvin. Calvin is constantly pleading with people, come on, let yourself be be taught. Please let yourself be taught. Please. You know, don't be so proud. Let yourself be taught. Okay, forget the preacher. What about the... I am important. Well, let me just tell you all, because I'm up front, you're not important. I am. Well, and right there, that shows why always in church history, people have refused to allow themselves to be fed by pastors. The church is filled with people who every single week sit through sermons and resent the man that's preaching. And if you want to know whether this is true, read Calvin. Calvin is constantly pleading with people, come on, let yourself be be taught. Please let yourself be taught. Please. You know, don't be so proud. Let yourself be taught. Okay, well, and right there, that shows why always in church history, people have refused to allow themselves to be fed by pastors. The church is filled with people who every single week sit through sermons and resent the man that's preaching. And if you want to know whether this is true, 
Read Calvin. Calvin is constantly pleading with people, come on, let yourself be, teach, be taught. Please let yourself be taught. Please. You know, don't be so proud. Let yourself be taught. Okay. Children. All frilly. You know? Shouldn't there be modesty with little girls? You know, why would you put bows on little girls? Aren't you supposed to cultivate humility in them? They're always having people over to their house. You know? I mean, you know, okay, fine. You have a nice house. You know how to cook. Big deal. Yeah, he's always teaching. I don't get it. Doctrine isn't everything. You know? Can't they find somebody else to teach? I don't like him. She's got a pierced nose. Why does he sing so loudly? Doesn't he know that his voice isn't very good? He should be quiet and let my voice predominate. And Jim, Jim Hogue, he's up leading worship and then he kneels. I mean, what's that about? You know, does he think he's something because he's kneeling? We're not kneeling. Does he have to stand out? Does he want, hey, look at me, I'm Jim, I'm kneeling, you know? I mean, where does he get off? If he's going to lead worship, can't he just, you know, fit in? Now the other musicians are kneeling. What's wrong with Jim? Okay, we know they can have babies. Do they have to have ten? <laughs> okay, sweetie pie. I already love you, but I love you more now. I love it when children just love their family and they're so nakedly open to that love. And so, you know, I could go on and on. Why does he wear sandals? Doesn't he know he should have socks on and shoes on on Sunday morning? You know, why does she have short hair? You know, doesn't she know it's a sin for women to have short... Why does she have long hair? Does she really think a woman of her age should have, you know... Um, and, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And I haven't gotten your particular one, but I have tried my best. You know, you know he never shuts his mouth. You know, didn't he just hear himself say every idle word? You know, now, now I, I, I never open my mouth. Because, you know, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps his mouth shut. And a lot of people think I'm wise, but I am wise because I keep my mouth shut. And the Bible tells us to do that. And, of course, what's going on? What's going on really is that man who keeps his mouth shut will never share the burdens of the other people of the church. Do you understand that? Oh, he's, he's, he's righteous. He keeps his mouth shut. And all it is is pride. 
He's never going to risk opening his mouth. Why? Because then he'll be shown to not be as wise as he seemed to be when his mouth was shut. And so he never bears any burden. If somebody's next to him blubbering, he thinks the stupid idiot, go home and go in your closet to cry. You know, if somebody next to him is asking questions, he's thinking, well, it's the pastor's job to answer those questions. If somebody says their parents just divorced, you think, well, I hope there's somebody in that church that's helping that poor woman. And so even the man that has his mouth shut is actually a bastion of arrogance and pride. At the very same time as he feels superior to other people because their mouths are open all the time. (laughs) I mean, come on, you guys. Now, ask yourself the question, what is the real problem in the church? People who are getting on certain Internet sites and hooking up with other men and having sex with them. And we have that in our church. Okay? Or people who sit in the pew, the chair, week after week after week, looking down at everybody else in the church. What is the more serious problem in the church? Which? Which is it? Come on. Which is the more serious problem, the notorious sinner or the arrogant and proud man? Do you think there is any chance whatsoever that the man who is involved in homosexual sin is going to ask for help when a church is filled with pride? Not on your life. He will not bless you with his burden. Now, why did I say bless you with his burden? Well, because it says bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so that means that if a man will not give you his burden, it is impossible for you to fulfill the law of Christ. It's a privilege to bear one another's burdens. And so if pride and self-seeking and self-promotion and judgmentalism are the heart of a church, they ain't going to find no sinners there. It'll be a church for the righteous. And Jesus will have other churches for the sinners. Because he didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. And the church that has the self-righteousness in it will be the church that is devoid of the presence of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said that he's the hungry one, that he's the thirsty one, that he's the naked one, that he's the one that's in prison. But you won't find anybody in prison in this church, will you? No, we're the people that are righteous, so we stay out of prison. We're the people that are righteous, so... We don't give in to our homosexual desires. We're the people that are righteous. And if somebody is so, uh, so foolish as to fall into that kind of sin, they need to go and find a church where there isn't 
such scrupulosity and such biblical commitments and such, you know, find a church for sinners. And by the way, the church for sinners certainly will have women who preach. Because they don't know that it's wrong to have women who preach. And certainly people there will send their children to public school because they don't know that it's wrong to send your children to public school. And certainly that church will have a whole host of doctrinal errors. And so if they want to go to that kind of church, well, I guess that's the kind of church that is right for them. But we, (laughs) we don't have women preachers. So which is a greater threat to the church? Arrogance and pride? Or a man who's having sex with other men? Martin Luther writes this. He says, he's talking to fellow pastors. He says, therefore, we have instructed and admonished pastors that it is their duty to exhort the people diligently and frequently to repent and to grieve over their sins and to fear the judgment of God. Nor are they to neglect the greatest and most important element of repentance. So what's the greatest and most important element of repentance? He says, For both John and Jesus Christ condemned the Pharisees more severely for their hypocritical holiness than for ordinary sins. The preachers are to condemn the gross sins of the common man, but more rigorously demand repentance where there is false holiness. So which do you think Martin Luther believes is the greater threat to the church? Blatant sin? Extravagant sin? Or false holiness and pride. I mean, ask yourself this question. Assume that you're one of the Christians that is going to have a burden that you need to have other Christians help you to bear. All right. And let's assume that that burden is a self destructive, suicidal desire to have sex with other men. Where are you going to go to church? You say, well, they shouldn't be in church. I say, really? They shouldn't be in church. You say, well, they should be at the Unitarian Church because at the Unitarian Church, they tell you that that's good. I say, really? That's the kind of church you want them at? Well, all right, no, no. They should go to the biker church. I think they have people like that there. Really? The biker church, huh? Well, this is a middle-class church. You know, this is a church where people know at least not to, to, to like, advertise their sins. You know, we're a church of people that, you know, we don't, you know, I mean, there's certain, there's propriety. I mean, what... What's the point of being middle class if you don't know how to hide your sins? That's what it's all about. And having a wife that hides your sin, that's very important. 
that doesn't go to the small groups and blab about the kind of husband she has. You know, that knows how to cover her husband's nakedness. You know, like Noah. You know, back in. You know, the blanket. You know, put it over him. That's the way the wife is supposed to help the husband. She's a help me, not a hurt me. What are you laughing about? So which is a greater threat? Notorious sin or pride? Which is a greater threat? Notorious sin or pride? Pride is, that's right. Pride is, yeah. Because pride is the thing that keeps us from acknowledging that we have burdens and pride is the thing that keeps us from bearing one another's burdens. We don't acknowledge we have burdens because we don't want other people to feel superior to us. Oh, look at him. He's got a burden. And we don't want to bear one another's burdens because, I mean, really, should I spend my life helping other people? They're the ones that got themselves into the predicament. Why should I have the duty of getting down and dirty with them and helping them out of it? I mean, he knows how not to get onto the Internet and look for other men. What's wrong with him? Let's have a little moral character here, a little self-discipline. No, I'm not going to babysit him. I'm not going to you know, call him every day, You know, talk to him. I mean... You know, we're all adults here. We all know what we have to do. We all have to bear our own burdens. <laughs> but that's directly opposite from what Scripture commands, isn't it? The Bible says that we are to bear one another's burdens. And again, I come back to this issue of you can choose American political ideology, you can choose your culture, or you can choose Christ. You can't have Christ in culture. Culture is every man should bear his own burden. Christ is bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So which is it? Do you have burdens? You say, oh, heaven knows I have burdens. I say, is anybody in the church bearing it? You say, no, and you know, I want to talk to you about that. (laughs) I say, oh, so it's my responsibility to bear your burdens. Well, you just preached it. It says bear one another's burdens. Well, how about if a small group leader bears your burden? Oh, no, no, no. You're the shepherd. I need the attention of the shepherd. Oh, really? So am I bearing your burdens or or am I making you feel as important as you think you should feel? I mean, what's this about? Are you convinced your small group leader couldn't bear that particular burden? Well, actually, I don't have a small group. Oh, you don't. Well, somehow I'm not surprised. Now, let's go back to the question. Do you have a burden to bear? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I've been wanting to talk to you about that. Do you have a small group? Well, no, I've been wanting to talk to you about that, too. Um, Well, who are you going to have bear your burden? Well, I would like to have an appointment with you, Pastor Bailey. You guys, there's an infinite number of ways, there are an infinite number of ways for us to turn our burdens into things that prop our pride up. We are infinitely perverse. And there's an infinite number of ways of using our bearing another person's burden in the church to prop our pride up. Because we are infinitely perverse. 
And yet, the purpose of bearing one another's burdens is to fulfill the law of Christ, and the law of Christ is the law of love. One way we can do it is we can bear one another's burdens by going and pointing out a burden to somebody else that we're bearing that's completely trivial. Now, about four weeks ago, I had a sermon prepared that I didn't end up giving because I went off on a tangent. And in between then and now, a lot of things that have happened which would cause you to think that I wrote this to you. But it would have to be a number of weeks ago for me to have written this to you. But I went on about things like this. I said... um, Well, I have to find it a second. Um, and I'm lost. Okay, here it is. If we turn inward in our love and love only ourselves, then we're going to end up making mountains out of molehills. And we're going to end up causing other people to bear burdens that they shouldn't have to bear. And that's because we have too much of a sense of our own self-importance. All right? So instead of going to other people and helping them when you have somebody who's having sex with other men, you go to help them when they forgot to put the, the cat back on the toothpaste. And, you know, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and talk to him. And if he doesn't repent, take somebody else. And if they don't repent, tell it to the church. And I'm here to tell you that my wife doesn't pull the cat back on the toothpaste. Now, Mary Lee and I have that one solved. She has her toothpaste, I have mine. (laughs) So that's not true. What about not remembering to put our dirty clothes in the clothes hamper? Is that a sin? Again, this is from many weeks ago, so don't think that one of you have talked to me. Forgetting anniversaries or birthdays, not getting home for dinner when we said we would, and making everyone wait until the food is burned or cold. tiny offenses, and we decide that those are the burdens that we will no longer bear. And so we tell it to the church and we go and we take somebody else with us. And uh, and boy, I'm telling you, we are so self-righteous with these little things, aren't we? And again, which is the greatest threat? Notorious sins or pride? Well, pride causes us to make mountains out of molehills and to, rela- and, and to jeopardize relationships over molehills. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. You say, but it's a sin. I say, yeah, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. You say, but it's a serious sin. I say, oh, get real. A cap on toothpaste, come on. Clothes in the hamper, well, it shows a pattern of of self-absorption. Well, yeah, it probably does. So what, you want to make the issue, the clothes in the clothes hamper? Aren't you a helpmate? Help! 
And of course, when it comes to the church, you say, well, I'm not his helpmate. I'm not married to him. And I say, come on, you guys. Why not just love each other? Why not just bear one another's burdens? Well, that's a sin. Well, love covers a multitude of sins. Aren't we supposed to bear the burdens of sin? No, we're only supposed to bear burdens that there's no moral lapse involved with them. You go, oh, really? So the only burdens we have to bear are burdens that are just accidents. You know, like somebody smashes into a tree. And there we say, can I give you a ride? You know, transmission falls out on the ground. CV joint finally goes. Can I help you? They get in the car. You know, really, didn't you hear the clicking for the previous 30,000 miles? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I did. Well, didn't you know what that clicking was? Well, somebody said I might have a bad CV joint. Ding dong! Out of my car! No more ride. It was your own fault. You had warning and you didn't do anything because you're a stingy guy and I'm not going to take my time to clean up your mistakes. If anybody thinks... He is something when he is nothing. And in the church, we are all sitting there looking at each other and thinking, you know, I'm something and she's nothing. (laughs) We even turn our suffering into making a something. I have the most exotic suffering of any person here. Why, my suffering is real suffering. You know, I mean, have I told you about it? Well, yeah, about a hundred times, actually, if you want to know the truth. You even tell me about it when you look at me with those doughboy eyes, you know. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. If anybody thinks he is something when he is nothing. Well, I'm not nothing. There are some people in the church that are nothing. And we all know who they are, but I'm something. No, we're all nothing. We sit there in youth group and we look at the other young men and women and we think they're scum. And my parents make me go. But I don't have to talk and I don't have to play the games. We sit there and think, well, I've got... Pimples, but he can't play basketball. He doesn't know the Bible the way I do. His dad isn't the pastor. (laughs) My dad is the pastor. I don't know why he has to get up and read from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I just prayed. Who does he think he is? You know, doesn't he realize he took up time this morning? And my time is more important. I'm the preacher, not David Canfield. If anybody thinks he is something when he is nothing. Each of us have to bear our own burdens. 
And if this church is going to be a church that bears one another's burdens and thereby fulfills the law of Christ, we're going to have to die to our pride. And if we die to our pride, we're not going to make a big deal out of the cap of the toothpaste. We're going to let love cover a multitude of sins. And we're going to sit up front. You know why I sit up front? You know why? Because I'm less tempted to look at you and feel superior to you if I sit up front. Did you ever know that little secret? The secret is the fewer people are between you and the front, the easier it is to think about the things you should think about instead of the things you shouldn't think about, which is that that lady's hat is blocking my view. And doesn't she know that head coverings are obsolete? And again, she just irritates me. At least she could wear one of those doily things like they have in the Mennonite church. Okay. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one must examine his own work and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Have you ever heard the little statement that comparisons are odious? Comparisons stink. And if you're somebody that sits there and compares yourself to others and you're miserable, there's a reason why you're miserable. And that's because comparisons stink. And what you need to do is you need to look at who you are. And the only way you're going to see who you are is by judging yourself by Scripture and God. And then you'll know that Paul's right when he says you're nothing. And then you'll stop thinking you're something. And then you will go ahead and put the cap back on the toothpaste for heaven's sakes. You'll lower the toilet seat. You'll hold the door. You'll fold the chairs. You'll listen when he wants to tell his story for the thousandth time. And you'll act interested. You'll have people into your home instead of thinking, well, it's dirty and messy and I don't want them to know that about myself. You'll serve. You'll fulfill the law of Christ. There's a little verse I want to end with. But I have to find it first. Here it is. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. I've quoted the second half many times. Love covers a multitude of sins. But the first half is important. Keep fervent in love. So, are you willing? It's very hard as a church to strike a balance between uh, having discipline, and going to people who have fallen into notorious sin, fulfilling that part without at the same time becoming self-righteous. Correction of others and self-righteousness go hand in glove. They're very, very... And so most churches in America have just made a decision that they're not going to do any correction because all the people that do correction are, are all very, very proud. And then those churches that do correction look down on those that don't because they're very, very dirty. <laughs> and so even the church identity between those who do and don't 
deal with sin becomes a way of us thinking we're something when we're actually nothing because we have a corporate identity and our corporate identity is what we take pride in. And so the question again this week is, if we do think we're something and we think other people are nothing and we don't want to bear the burdens and the burdens we want to bear are the burdens of the cap on the toothpaste, the question is, how do we deal with that? And what is the answer? What is the answer? Is the answer working harder at it? No. The answer is to ask the Holy Spirit to show us our sin. And then take that sin to the cross and realize that Jesus died for that sin. And then become delightfully self-forgetful, which is what everyone under the cross is. If you're under the cross of Christ, you're not sitting there thinking about how you're better than somebody else. They say that the ground under the cross is level. Because Christ is above us. There's a reason that you need His righteousness. And so the answer is to go to the Holy Spirit and to ask Him to show you your sin. And then you won't think you are something. And then you'll realize that actually, not putting the cap on the toothpaste is a pretty insignificant thing. And it won't kill you to screw it on when she forgets it. As a matter of fact, you will be bearing her burden and fulfilling the law of Christ. Hmm? Hmm? Be fervent in love. Fervent. Fervent. This is why I think that we should kiss and hug each other. Because I always believe that our hearts follow our bodies. And if you kiss a man and hug him, it's very hard for you immediately to think that you're superior to him. This is why when I talk to you, I get very close to you. Stand up, Brandon. I don't do this as, as aggression, but I do this so that if he wants to punch me or spit on me, he can do it easily. I'm not standing aloof. All right? And if my breath is bad... He will smell it. It's actually a principle with me. That's how our dad treats us. Why shouldn't we be like that with each other in the church, huh? Hmm? Because I have my pride to maintain. Oh, do you? I'm so shocked. <laughs> okay. Now, there's a reason why I've been very intense this week if the elders could come, and that is that we take communion, and the Bible tells us that before we leave our gift at the altar, that we should go if somebody has something against us, and we should make it right. And because I'm on intimate terms with little birdies, I know that in this congregation there are some who have things against each other. And the Bible says that before we bring our offering to the altar, that we should go and make it right. And one of the things I was thinking before preaching this morning was I was thinking one way to examine yourself is to ask yourself, when is the last time that you told somebody in this church other than your family that you had sinned against them and that you're sorry? 
Now, that's a great barometer to find out whether you're in any way obedient to what we've been preaching on for the last few weeks. Because let me tell you, if you haven't sinned against somebody in this church and needed to ask forgiveness of them, then you're not living in fellowship with other people in this church. I mean, do you understand that? What's the fellowship if you're not sinning? You say, well, some of us try not to sin. I go, yeah, right. So you just don't have fellowship with anybody, and that's a good way of them not knowing you sin, isn't it? Now, those of you that are in fellowship with each other, do you really think that you've lived the last month without needing to ask forgiveness of somebody here? What about gossip? Well, nobody knew I did that. I said, oh, because it was done at work, you don't need to ask forgiveness? You smeared their name at work. You smeared their name at your hairdresser's. Right? But you don't need to ask forgiveness. Is that the way it works? Only when people find you out do you confess your sin. So here we come to the Lord's table, and we never, ever, ever ask for forgiveness from one another, do we? Never, never. Because I don't have anything that I need to remember and make right before I come to the altar. I, I'm, I do that before. I, you know? So here we have this dilemma. We have the table set. We have our Lord's command. We know that there is somebody here that we need to ask forgiveness of. But remember, preacher, it's your job to protect us from the Holy Spirit. So for heaven's sakes, don't ask us to do it now. Because... This is a ritual and liturgy, and it's formal. And we don't want blood caked on the wall incommoding the passers-by here. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to go to people here and to ask them for forgiveness. And I command you to do it. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to do it. Some of you don't have to. Some of you have to, but you won't. Some of you have to, and you will. So just a few minutes, you get up, you go ask for forgiveness. You don't go and tell somebody else that they should ask your forgiveness. That can come after the worship service. That's what happened to Mary Lee the last time we did this. Uh, <laughs> my poor wife had somebody come and tell them. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, so if you have sinned against someone else, you go to them. It may be your husband or wife. It may be your child. If you're a father and you've never asked for forgiveness of your children,